You are listening to Open Mic Spotlight with Heatherly Holt. Open Mic Spotlight is a weekly podcast featuring intimate conversations and performances with musicians and artists from Chattanooga and the surrounding areas. Take a closer look at all the wonderful talent and culture the Chattanooga music scene has to offer. Open Mic Spotlight is currently looking for future episode sponsors. Sponsorship benefits include spoken ads on episodes and logos and written ads on iTunes and social media. All funds go directly to the production and marketing of each episode. If you would like to sponsor or hear more details, please contact me at Heather Lee Holt at openmicspotlight.com. H-E-A-T-H-E-R-L-E-I-G-H-H-O-L-T at openmicspotlight.com. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic Spotlight. I am your host, Heather Lee Holt, and today we have Ian Sharp here. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. So Ian Sharp is a comedian in town and a musician, and he does all kinds of things. So today is mainly going to be focused on comedy. Yeah, that's kind of my current thing. I haven't really played music in a few years. I mean, it may come back up, but in the meantime, comedy is the driving force. You host an open mic on Mondays now at The Honest Fight. Right. It's called Comedy Fight. It's uh, Mondays at 9 o'clock. If you want to sign up, you need to be there at 8.30. It's every single Monday, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And you try to keep it really professional and like quiet when the comedians are performing as much as you can in a place yeah. like Adam's Pine. Yeah, it's a really big room. It's really hard to control that room. And we understand that we're not going to be able to regulate. In my opening thing, and I'm probably, you know, kicking myself for saying this, I threaten that like, if you talk, we'll throw you out. And there's no security. We're just trying to scare people. I went to one when it was still on Sunday. And it's really good. The The caliber of comedians that come out are like actually funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm really really proud of our scene. I think we've got a, a really good thing going. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the hard work that like Ryan Darling's done over at JJ's and, you know, Joel Rees did before him. We made it a real c- encouraging environment and made it something that like, I think people want to be a part of. So I think when new people come out, we're not immediately like, oh, look at them trying, <laughs> you know, we actually try to help people. And, and try you to- encourage it. Right, right. And you want more people to be into it. Absolutely. I want to see the scene grow massively. You guys are doing a really amazing job with that. Are you involved with the Comedy Catch too? I do some over there. I haven't really in a while, but sometimes they'll have me host. I like to do the mic over there just because it's such a different experience than the alt scene, I guess, which is where you're doing it in bars instead of comedy club. You know, that's where I came up was at JJ's. And then uh, going over to the Comedy Catch, it's like a real club. So it feels a little different. It's a good experience. You know, every room's different and you need to know how to perform to multiple different kinds of crowds. So I enjoy going over there. You perform there too. Yes. So when you perform there, are you usually opening for guests that come through? or? I mean, like I said, it's only been a, a couple instances. But yeah, what they'll do is when they need a host and I'm available, they'll, they'll ask me and I'll just go out there and I'll bring up all the comics and you know get to do some of my material. And the cool thing about the comedy catch is they almost have a different crowd every single night. So you're exposing yourself to new people like every time you do it. And that's, yeah. that's fantastic, especially being right by the choo-choo now. So They are able to draw in a lot different crowd. 
So who runs the comedy catch? That would be Michael Alfano. I think he's run it the entire time. So it's uh, And is he a comedian to you? I don't believe so. Michael, if you're listening to this and you are a comedian, I'd love to see your stuff. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. Why haven't we seen more of the Chattanooga comedy scene like at the comedy catch, do you think? Here's my theory uh, as best I know things. And I, you know, I try to be inclusive and I try to work with everybody as much as I can. And I started at JJ's and I started shortly after they started that mic. To my understanding, and I may be totally off base here, I don't think Michael appreciated competition early on because I think that it was uh, sort of a situation where he was has been the only game in town for years. And he's like, we're the comedy place. What are you trying to do? You know? Um, and then I think over time, you know, it's been going for several years. It really seems to have opened up to the fact that it's good for the overall comedy community. And you are seeing a lot more people. Like I know Donnie Marsh is a great comedian in town. He, he does my show all the time, does JJ's, and he's a regular host over at the Comedy Catch. One of the main regular hosts over there, Luke Martyr, comes and does all the shows. So there is now a lot more back and forth that you're seeing these days, where it used to be there was the Comedy Catch crowd and then the JJ's crowd, and we didn't really intermingle, and now it's starting to be more of a community. And That's good. Yeah, we're starting to, we're starting to bridge that gap. And That's I, really good. I'm all about that. So Yeah. Let's talk about you a little bit. Okay. So, are you from Chattanooga? Yes, born and raised. What part? I started living, I guess, in the Red Bank area, real close to here, actually. Went to Red Bank Elementary Middle School, and then at that point, I moved around and always in, like, the area, the Hamilton County area, but I went to uh, Saudi Daisy High School. I skipped the whole college thing and just joined a band and went on tour. What band were you in? It was a band called With Faith or Flames. We were kind of a, a metalcore band, a little bit of a religious aspect, all that's kind of controversial now, um, just because of the, the path that we took while we were in the band. We started a little bit religious and then moved away from that. Religious but. as in pro-religion? Like pro-Christianity? Right, right. Okay. At the time, there was a venue called Club Fathom, and that was kind of our bread and butter scene. And, and not to get into this too much, but I was more active in the faith community, I guess is one way to put it. So I was on board with doing it. But then the more we got out there and the more we traveled, we realized that I was like, I don't feel called to preach to these people. I just want to give these people an escape from all the pressures of the real world. And to me, religion is one of those pressures. And I was like, even when I was a religious person, that was something I was like, I want people to just come to a show and have fun and mm -hmm. get their minds off of all that stuff and just have a good time for a little while. I want people from all different backgrounds to be able to come to a show and not have to worry about, well, there's these kind of people and there's these kind of people to me like having that whole label was really off-putting and then it just felt weird on other levels and then ultimately we just nixed that whole thing all together and was it kind of like an under oath kind of thing we were definitely part of that scene it was like uh, I mean they were a little more melodic and I think a little more poppy and we were definitely more on like the screamy death metal type stuff I think we played with them a couple times. But really? We, we played with like all of those kind of bands. Like we did Cornerstone Festival a couple times, which is like Christian Bonnaroo, but with more metal. I don't think that happens anymore, but it was a thing. <laughs> it was in Illinois. They used to, to do it yearly and, you know, it was fun. It was a good experience, but ultimately it just... I was like, we're selling t-shirts to kids that don't have anything to do with that message. And it's like, we're just making money off of this message that isn't even really like why we're doing it. So mm -hmm. let's just nix that. And But then, you know, we'd already established the name and the name was more like Christian sounding than a lot of actual... What is Christian, it again? With Faith or Flames. And I didn't name it that. I'm not going to knock the guy who did. The story was basically we were trying to rename it from a previous band called Man Versus Tree. We didn't like that name. So we were working on a new one and the, the band leader was just shooting down every idea. And after a few months, he like called us. We were all at a party and we woke up like at 5 a.m. calling us. He was like, hey, 
hey guys, I've got it with faith or flames. And we're like, yeah, sure, man, that sounds good. And then just hung up and went back to sleep. And it had been such an ordeal that finally he like agreed to one and you're like, go for it. Yeah. We're like, we just anything, please. <laughs> so the band kind of fizzled out. And it just happens, you know, heavy music especially isn't, isn't a big money maker. So. so then everyone came back to Chattanooga. Right. Right. And where'd you go from there? Well, I played around in another local band. It was called Unspoken Triumph. This one was me stepping away. The way I thought of it was Faith or Flames was the good guy metal. So I wanted to do something that wasn't really the same thing. So when I did Unspoken Triumph, it was more from a negative standpoint. It was more like, these are the emotions that are part of humanity. We should definitely look at these and not shy away from them. It was venting sort of, but it was definitely metal. more of a cult, brutal metal thing. So mm-hmm. so you went from like one end of the spectrum to the other? Right, right. <laughs> Going back, you know, I don't regret anything that I've done because it was all part of the journey of who I am today. Exactly. So after that band, you kind of... Well, it was kind of during that I started to dip into comedy. It came from a couple different things. Well, what happened was with my old band, we were all hanging out one day. I made a bet with them. I was like, guys, we're all funny. We crack up all the time. We should all write a set and go do an open mic sometime just for fun. And I'm the only one who actually did it. So I had this set I was sitting on and then I heard that JJ's had started their open mic and I was like, well, I'm going to go try this. And it's addictive. (laughs) The first time I went and got laughs, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then when the other band Unspoken Triumph fizzled out, I was like, well, comedy is like, I don't have to balance my schedule around like four other dudes and I don't have to spend money on gear. Let's, let's run with this for a while. And it's been pretty fun. So. You seem to be pretty successful at it. So it's, uh, it's debatable. <laughs> a comedian's success is based on if the crowd thinks you're funny. And I think a lot of people think you're funny. Well, so. well thank you. I, I, I hope so. I mean, there's people who love me and I've, I've heard people tell me they think I'm the best comic in Chattanooga, which, hey, if you think that, great. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but I don't know about that so much. And then there's people that just can't stand me. And I think that's just how humor works in general. That's part of the addictive aspect for me is that everyone has a different sense of humor. If I was to point at a crowd and say, who's your favorite comedian? Now, who's your favorite comedian? Now, who's your favorite comedian? All three people would say different names. Mm -hmm. So the trick is when you're doing comedy for a room is tapping into all those different sense of humors at the same time. That's the challenge and the thrill of it for me. So I guess comedy is a lot to do with being able to read people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, every room is different. So you have to know looking at the crowd, okay, these are the kind of jokes I can tell. These are the kind of jokes I can't tell. So having a good arsenal of different sort of stuff you can cover and different ways you can tell the same joke is really a useful skill to have. And I've, I've been doing it for close to six years now. I'm a, I still have a lot of weak points in certain areas. I'm not great at crowd work, which is where you point at somebody and say, hey, where are you from? What, and then you make jokes about that on the fly. Not super great at that. Um, I got heckled at a show uh, a couple weeks ago and I just shut down. <laughs> I didn't, I don't know how to deal with hecklers. Usually I just go, okay, you think that. And then I move on to the next, some people are real good at the go. Oh, you think that let's talk about you for a minute. And I can't do that. So, you know, I find it kind of comparable hearing you talk about it to when I talk between songs. Right. Right. And sometimes the crowd will just like eat up everything I say. And then sometimes it's like, they look at me with a daunting stare. Like what is wrong with this girl? Oh, right. <laughs> That's that's honestly kind of where I got the idea that I should try that. I mean, I've always loved comedy. It was always something I wanted to do when I was younger. But uh, 
being in a band and then going on tour and being in different cities, you know, strings break. I was the front man, so it was my job to keep things moving. And occasionally I would hit and I'd get laughs and I'd be like, that feels really good. That was kind of my first taste of it. But then I started comedy and realized like, oh, this is really different because in, with a band, if I bomb a joke, oh, well, anyway, here's another song. Yeah. Without that, <laughs> if you bomb a joke, you're like, uh, uh. <laughs> okay. What do I do now? <laughs> exactly. It's not fun when that happens, but everybody goes through it. So. Yeah. So what's your day job? I work for an IT company and mostly I just answer phone calls and help people fix their computers all day. I love the company I work for and I love all the people I work for. The actual position, I'm, yeah, you know, I, well, I'm just hoping comedy works out is all I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail in case anybody from work listens to this. But, uh, you know, I mean, let's just put it like this. I'm working hard in hopes that maybe I can get a promotion into something else. <laughs> but in the meantime, it's it pays the bills. That's not the worst thing I've ever done. So. Well, IT work is really hard because most of the time when people call and need IT help, it's people that don't do anything to try to fix it themselves first. Absolutely. Every day, me and my coworkers will just shrug our shoulders and be like, yeah, so uh, this caller doesn't know where the power button is on the monitor. You know, or like, I'll ask simple yes or no questions. Yeah. Is there this shape or this shape on this part of the screen? And they'll say, I don't know, I'm not computer literate. I'm like, you don't have to be. I get calls mostly from nurses. You know, it's easy for me to get frustrated, but I always try to remember that they're working like 18 hour days. Their mind is on people's livelihoods. They're not concerned with how their computer works. They just need it to work. I've been complimented that I'm real just good at staying calm, being like, okay, we're on the same team. Let's let's get this problem fixed together, you know, and calm them down a bit. So my last couple years teaching, I was the IT contact for the school. And all I can say is I completely understand where you're coming from. Right, yeah. Most of the time, I would just go in there, turn whatever it was off, and then on again, and the problem was fixed. That's that's an old joke, but it's true so often. <laughs> or this doesn't work, or this doesn't work, and 100% of the time, it was because it wasn't plugged in. <laughs> right. I had one lady who was like, oh, yeah, my uh, computer, just the screen's black. I don't know why. And I'm like, oh, have you tried pressing the power button? <laughs> Okay, let me let me turn it off. And then she presses it and goes, oh, it was off. I'm like, thanks. What I say around my office all the time is like, I swear if I could tie shoes through the phone, these people would call and have me tie their shoes for them. But at the same time, like I said, I try to be humble and understand like, what their situation is. But everybody's like, oh, well, you, you're so frustrated at work. You sure got lots of material for your set. And I'm like, I don't think these people want to hear me complain about my job. I'd rather just talk about something else, get my mind away from that. But that's definitely one reason that I also love comedy is it's just a huge step away from all that. Yeah, it's completely different than the IT world of questions and technology. So let's talk about your comedy a little bit. All right. I have not heard a lot of it. So what kind of topics do you like to discuss? Early on, coming from the metal background and stuff, you know, I wanted that kind of extreme. So I tried to push edgy topics and do like, I want to be the, oh no, he didn't kind of comic. And the more you do that, it gets old fast. And you realize that that's just such a newbie approach. Like people do that all the time. They show up like, I'm going to wow them with my unique perspectives. I'm going to say things you shouldn't say about this. And it's like, everybody's done that, man. So now it's like, 
My current philosophy is taking really mundane hack premises and trying to put new spins on them that make them a little less mundane and hack. Like I do all the common stuff like sex and dating. And naturally we just got through an election year. So there was a lot of political stuff. I really got sick of it fast and tried to not do it, but there's just some things you couldn't walk away from. But I don't like to do political humor. I like to tell dumb jokes in really smart ways. That's really the way I think of it. There's subtleties to it that not everybody gets and that hurts me more than it helps me. But I do try to put some layers there where it doesn't seem like it's quite there on the surface. Totally. Well, let's listen to some of your comedy. And this was at JJ's. It was a live recording. Yes. What was this for again? Donnie Marsh put together this show where he was just basically being a really cool guy. And he booked two nights where he had all the local comics and a lot of regional comics come in. He took professional headshots for us and got us film of some of our best material. He was really just doing this as a way to say like, hey guys, this way you have something that to looks get out good. There. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, Donnie's a great guy f- for all that. I really applaud his ambition and drive to really not just wait on opportunities to come to him. He makes his own. And, and, and he's supporting everyone else in the process. Exactly. That's very, very noble of him. I love it. I guess I'm going to have to have him on here Yeah, no, you should. He's a good guy. That's awesome. Okay, let's listen to this. Please give it up for Ian Sharp. I'm in a good mood, guys. I'm in a good mood. You know why I'm in a good mood? Because I had sex. I mean, not like recently, just like before. You guys ever had sex before? It's weird, isn't it? Weird. Sex is weird. You know what's weird about sex? They say they call it. Uh, they call it making love, right? Weird thing is, you don't actually have to love someone to have sex with them. I found that out the first time I ever had sex. See, I really loved this girl, and we were having sex, right? And then, uh, you know, you got, I could tell she didn't feel the same way by the noises she was making. You know, I was like, oh yeah, and she was like, oh hey. <laughs> Hope you don't take this the wrong way. And I was like, what? And she was like, I just want to be friends after this. Making love, guys, making love. You know what they ought to call it? Making smells. Every time. Every single time. Some people call it making babies. I call those people dicks. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. I'm scared of having a kid or anything. It's just that, like, you know, imagine, like, this takes all the mood out of it. You're just, you know, hey, why don't you come over to my place later? We can take our clothes off and have some fun. Then after that, we can have about 18 years of responsibility. It'll be great. Uh, I'm not scared of having kids. I'm 34 years old. I think it's, you know, maybe about time. Like, if I got a girl pregnant, I know what I'd do. I got plenty of time, you know, nine whole months to get my shit together and vanish into the night. <laughs> Oh, man. Who else is weird about sex? Uh, the kinks and the fetishes and shit. Everybody's got those things, you know, that they like. Mine is, uh, I, I got one, don't judge me on this, but my favorite part is uh, the, uh, the, uh, the orgasm. <laughs> you know, that part at the end? I like that. Uh, I dare say that's usually the whole reason I'm doing it in the first place. weird though, aren't they? Because they're gross. Like, they're disgusting. If I get an orgasm on me, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna wash off this orgasm. <laughs> but if a girl lets me, I'll hose her down like she pulled the wrong flag on Double Dare. <laughs> what? Why is that? 
girl before. Hey, you see that girl over there? Yeah, the one with the cold and no tissues. Damn, that's hot. Like, I've never done that before. <laughs> Girls have their fetishes, too. They have their kinks, their things that they like, don't you, ladies? Yeah. I dated this one girl one time. She was like, uh, she was like, she liked to call me daddy. She was like, I've been a bad girl, daddy. I need a spanking. Been real bad. And I was like, ooh, I'm not going to do that. That's degrading. Give me your phone. You can have it back when you bring those grades up. I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. I dropped her off with my ex and never called her again. That's what daddy's doing. That's two deadbeat dad jokes in this set, guys. That's two. Let's change gears. Let's talk about something else. You know what? I'll get a little political. I'll get a little political. Uh, you guys heard about the, that group of people out now? They're called the alt-right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So the the alt-right. The weird thing about the alt-right, you ever do that thing with a word where you go around using it for like a long time, you think you know what it means, and it turns out you don't actually know? Yeah. Uh, so you go around for like a year and a half telling people that's what you are? No. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. You know, I thought it was like the alternative right, like the Weezer right, <laughs> or like the Smashing Pumpkins right. No, it's the Ramstein right. <laughs> we, we hate Mexicans. No, no, that's not the club I wanted to join. I just hate taxes and I like having a nice haircut. That's what I thought this was. Nazis. I should have known it. Because even alt-right sounds like some shit that uh, people would chant while they march around without bending their knees. You know, alt-right, alt-right. I just don't get the whole nationalism thing. You know, I don't get the whole having pride in, in like where you come from. You didn't pick that. You didn't pick that. Like I didn't pick, I didn't have a school spirit growing up. I didn't, I didn't pick my high school. You know what high school I went to? I went to the high school in the neighborhood where my parents got a deal on a house. That's where I went. <laughs> It was like the, hey Ian, yeah, you were gonna be a doctor, but we saved 50 grand, so you get to go to the school where they make juggalos. That's where. Cool. I just don't get, I don't get the whole, the whole thing. They're like the, what's, what, what's nationalism? What's that whole deal about? It? You just pr stupid, proud that your parents found a piece of dirt to have sex on? Like, see that pile of dirt right there? That's what where my mom and daddy done fucked and made me. <laughs> Better than your piece of shit pile of dirt. <laughs> See that rock right there? That rock's where I was born. My mama sat on that rock one day. Ooh, it was a nice rock. It was right here. She sat on it just a pregnant as all shit. Just sitting there. And like, oh, it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining and she was looking up right into the sun, just staring straight into it. <laughs> And that's when overhead a bald eagle just comes a soaring and just goes cow, cow, cow. And it gracefully swoops down for a landing and it lands right on mama's tape deck, talent pressing the play button. And that, my friends, is when Lee Greenwood's God Bless the United States just comes blaring from the speakers just as loud as can be. Oh my God, it was a beautiful American day. Oh my God, the emotions were swelling and the song was just a playing. And it gets to that one part. You know the part I'm talking about. And I proudly stand up. And that's when I come bursting forth from my mama's room. Finger pointed straight in the 
here singing every goddamn word. Oh, my daddy was so proud. He was so proud. He went out and he punched the first person he saw who was different than him. He looked at my mom and said, you make him watch. You make him watch so he don't turn out to be gay or nothing. America. Thank you, guys. funny well thanks oh my gosh that was so funny i see what you mean about normal things and a different perspective i don't try to overthink it because like i said you're going to deal with all kinds of audiences you're going to deal with everybody like the sex stuff everybody can mm-hmm. relate I always talk about this all my comic friends are tired of hearing about it but my favorite part and it always goes unnoticed is where i ask the crowd and you guys ever have sex before which is such an absurd thing. It sounds real casual and it goes right by most people, but it's like the few people that get it are like, wait a minute, he just asked a room full of people if any of them have ever had sex before. Of course they have. It's You're in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that everybody knows. Like, okay, I have some marginal knowledge here. <laughs> when you write your jokes, do you write kind of in like a backwards way where you have the kicker in the beginning and then you start writing backwards to be funny or is it you just do it all different ways? Yeah, there's no real rhyme or reason to it. When I have something that I know is a, is a kicker like the double dare thing that's actually one of my oldest little tags and it used to go in a totally different joke i love it it usually goes over pretty well i think everybody kind of has a marginal knowledge of what double dare is Mm -hmm. i think the invocative image of just slime pouring over someone that used to be part of a different joke you know over time that old joke i just didn't like anymore but i still like that little line and so i found a way to plug it into like a, a different bit so that bit is actually kind of a Frankenstein bit, whereas it started as a series of little one-liners. And then over time, I was like, I can take all these one-liners and build them into one cohesive kind of story in a way. It's not really a story, but you know. I feel like Ryan Darling talked about that a little bit too, how his jokes are always building and getting better as he does them and how he thinks of different things to put in there. So it happens over a course of time. Right, yeah. Most of my writing happens in my car, especially to and from mics where I'm rehearsing in my head. And nine times out of 10, I'm going to go off the script and go into a tangent. And then I'll like think of 10 things that are better than what I'm planning on doing. And of course, they're not developed, so I'll shelve them. But as soon as I park, I'm like, write that down, write mm-hmm. that down. And then later, I'll like write out a story for it and see if that works, if I like that. I like to think of it as almost more of like a craft or a science, I guess, but it is a very still organic and fluid thing that you you can't just completely rely on a method. But I like to structurally write several small jokes and then work them together. And if I have a big story, like there's a few things that I tell that are based somewhat in reality. I mean, we all lie, all comics lie, but I'll have some that are based somewhat in reality and it'll have the real funny part at the end, but then the whole long buildup to understand the end isn't funny. So then what I'll have to go do is plug in smaller jokes so that way it keeps the crowd entertained and it keeps mm-hmm. them like with music you want a crescendo up to a climax you know you want your biggest joke to be at the end but you still want your first joke to be something that grabs people so I, I think of it as like a music set in the sense that you want your first song to probably be an energetic song you know for non-metal probably something more dancey that you know gets people go oh hey and then you can kind of through the middle slow it down a little but then by the end you want you know your power one yeah. you know so and that's kind of how I, I approach at least putting a set together and then maybe if I'm constructing a story long form joke that's kind of the same thought process is okay right off the bat I gotta grab them gotta keep them entertained through the journey and then the end has to pay off it's good stuff So you've already given aspiring comedians a lot of advice, like as you've been talking this whole podcast. 
the format of my show is even meant to be a workshop because it's called Comedy Fight and we have a wheel of hack premises and it's a bracket like people compete each week and they spin the wheel and then they have a week to write a set based on what the wheel lands on. It gives them homework. I've seen a lot of really good material come out of that that people wouldn't have written on their That's own. That's great for the scene because not only are you creating this fun thing where people are like kind of competing with each other in a positive way, but it's giving them kind of motivation to write more and not just come up with the same jokes every week. Exactly. I mean, and you do want to have a good polished set. I'm not knocking that, but at the same time, you know, especially if you're doing all the local mics, which I think we're up to five a week now, like different open mics in town, which is insane. You know, when I started, we had one and then the comedy catch did like once every other week. And now they're down to just once a month. Let's talk about all the ones that we have in town. Okay. JJ's is the mothership. It's the one that's been going the longest. It's where I got my start. It's definitely got the best reputation. They do a great job still over there. I love that room. I try to go every week I can. Mine's on Mondays. It's Comedy Fight. Honest Pint starts at 9. Sign up to 8.30. Yes, yes. Um, and then I'm not sure the details on this one because it's new, but a comedian named Eric Lonis runs one at Coyote Jack's, which is on the south side, and that's on Tuesdays. The comics who I know who've gone have said it was a good room and they enjoyed it. Then, once again, you got Wednesdays at JJ's, and also the, the monthly Comedy Catch one is also on Wednesdays. But what's cool is they try to offset it so that comedians can do both. The Comedy Catch one, I think, starts at 7, and then the JJ's one starts at, like, 8.30. So you can usually make both of them if you want to. Thursdays is at McHale's. That was started by a guy named Jared Nipper, real funny guy, but he had a lot of stuff come up. He couldn't really take it on anymore. So now it's run by Grace Holtz and Andrew Ledbetter, and they're phenomenal, and they're doing a great job with that room. It's on Ashland Terrace over there. It's a smaller room. It's a more intimate room, but sometimes those are the most fun. Mm -hmm. And Ryan mentioned that that was a really good one to start out on. Yes, just because it's so much smaller. And then I think the last mic, it's a new one, brand new. I don't think, I think they may have done it once. It's a experimental concept. Don't know how well it's going to work, but it's a good, good thing to try. Uh, it's a bar I go to all the time anyway, just for fun, because I love karaoke. Uh, it's at Rob's. I don't know if you know where Rob's is at. It's uh, on uh, Dayton Boulevard, also in that North Red Bank kind of area. An employee there is part of the comedy scene, and she's decided that you know Sunday nights are slow there, so they're going to do open mics on Sundays, and they're kind of working on how that's going to work out, but definitely worth checking out. So It's exciting to see the momentum that the comedy scene is starting to get. And when everyone works together, it benefits everyone. Right. And our scene isn't super competitive. Like generally, when someone's doing well, we all are happy for them. Like I've never seen someone like booked on a show and been like, I should have been on that. I'm like, good for them, you know, and hoping I get the next one. But I don't want to be the only good comic in town. So I want to see other people doing well. I want to go to comedy shows and be entertained as a performer and as a patron. And like I said, as a showrunner, I need a good crew of good comedians that I know I can trust to make the crowd laugh. And yeah, that's- because if you don't have comedians, you don't have a show. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm so stoked about the way things are going right now. Like I've done a little bit, not real touring, but I've done a lot of the area of like regional mics, like in Huntsville and a couple in Atlanta and Knoxville's a really fun place to go and Nashville. Nashville, I've recently fallen in love with. I've always liked Nashville as a city, but their comedy scene, I really just love it up there. But I still think we've got kind of a more special thing. I don't want to be mean to any of those people. I think they have better comics, but I think we have more good comics, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, a wider array of them. Right. Like you're going to go there and you're going to like wait for one or two that you're really waiting for. And then you're going to see a lot of people who are kind of 
coming up. Whereas here, you're going to go and you're going to see five comics and all of them are going to be fantastic. And I think that's really awesome that we have that. I haven't been to a lot of the open mic comedies here, but I've been to a few and I just, I laugh at all of them. Well, I think it's like really awesome what you and Ryan are doing for this town with comedy and the more variety we can have in this town with comedy and music and the arts, it's going to make our city better. I absolutely agree. I think we, we've come a long way. When I was, you know, a teenager, we were like, what is there to do in this town? And there's like, we have to go to Atlanta or Nashville for that. And then now it's like, I almost never want to leave because yeah. there's stuff to do pretty much every night of the week now. And there's awesome bands coming to town all the time. And it's, I feel like we're growing up. Yeah. <laughs> we're not big time, but we're stepping towards that direction. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and speaking and teaching me more about comedy. And I know all the other listeners too, probably. Well, thanks for having me. This has been fun. If you're listening and you are trying to get out there, it sounds like he's the one that you want to talk to. One of a few, but yeah, I can definitely point you in the right direction. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave a rating or review. We love feedback. Also, please subscribe on the iTunes podcast app or at www.openmicspotlight.com. Thank you to Trenton Romanini for mixing this episode. For all of your industry and recording needs, visit tromixthat.com. T-R-O-M-I-X-E-D-T-H-A-T dot com. 